Good morning, Grace. Praise Jesus indeed for our firefighters. Amen. Uh, I know at least two of our families who live over that way were spared the worst, so we'll pray that even more likewise will as well. Lord, again, we come before you and we ask Jesus that you would be with us this morning. Help us to hear your word and help us to have it change us and make us more to be the men and women of God you've created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My brother, almost 12 years younger than me, has always been more daredevilly than me. He was five when he got his first motorcycle. Out in the backyard, this little 50cc hit the gas. My dad was holding him, and all of a sudden, my dad wasn't holding him anymore, and he was flying down the hill to our neighbor's yard where there was a rusty steel fence and just took it all out. He told me later, it was great till I got to the bottom. <laughs> Two years later, he's seven. This time he's just on a bicycle, on a bicycle. And he's going down in the park right uh, below us in this really steep hill. And he snaps his femur in half. Eleven weeks. This kid is in traction or a full body cast. One memory in particular stands out from that time. I happened to be the one taking him to the hospital, and there was standing room only in the room. I think, it, I think we were doing an x-ray or something like that. And so, finally, we get to go back, and the nurse who came up, she said something like, I'm sorry it took so long, or something to that effect. And I said, I have waited longer for less important things. You know... That had to be the Holy Spirit speaking that through me. Because when it comes to suffering, I am a wuss. I am so impatient all the time. But those words spoken by that 19-year-old kid have rung in my head so many times when I am patient. Because suffering stinks. Suffering is terrible. But what makes suffering really bad is when the person suffering has no hope. There are approximately 44,000 Americans who murder themselves every year. Now, I'm no sociologist, but we have unprecedented wealth, we have incredible health care, we have entertainment at our fingertips, and we have just unbelievable information sources all around us, and we are a people without hope. As a side note, it's my personal opinion that every suicide or attempted suicide is a direct result of demonic activity. We can talk about that later. So, Christian, what are we to do for these unbelievers and believers who are just struggling with suffering and pain and hopelessness? Proclaim hope. Preach hope. Proclaim hope. 
one of the main themes found in Paul's letter to the Colossians is hope. Because Christ is supreme and because Christ is sufficient, you and me have hope. Now, remember, we've been saying this. Biblical hope is not, I hope my team wins. Biblical hope is much more specific. Biblical hope is the power of soul in times of great stress and anxiety, not just to endure the evil day, but to be joyful and to fill our lives with fruits of righteousness. Do you believe that's possible? It's possible only as the Holy Spirit works through His Word in your heart. Because you see, this fruits of righteousness, this faith, hope, and love, these are not some mysterious forces that some people get and other people miss. Hope instead is the real life power of soul that strengthens you to trust the promises of God, to love your neighbor, those who are near you, and to live joyfully in light of the struggles that all of us face. But just as a reminder, look with me back at Colossians chapter 1 and see what Paul says about hope. Verse 4, our hope causes trust in God and love for others. It is effective. Verse 5, our hope is laid up in heaven. It is secure. Verse 11, our hope gives joyful endurance and patience in the face of struggles. It is powerful. Verse 20, our hope is made by peace one on Christ's cross. It is eternal. Verse 23, our hope secures for us from shifting away from the good news. It is available to you right now. And verse 27, our hope is in Christ, in you. The hope of glory. It is here and it is coming. This is the hope that you and I have to proclaim because we have God's Word. So, how does Paul in this passage find hope for his own soul in light of his struggles? How does Paul give hope to those who are listening to him? He proclaims hope. He proclaims hope when he makes the Word of God fully known. He proclaims hope when he presents everyone mature in Christ. He proclaims hope when he encourages saints' hearts. He proclaims hope when he defends himself and those hearing him from lies. Check your pulse real quick. Do you have a heartbeat? You have hope. Do you have sin in your life? You have hope. Do you do good things mixed with bad things? You have hope. Do you love somebody who doesn't love Jesus? You have hope. You, right now, right where you're sitting, no matter your health, no matter your circumstances, no matter your relationship status, you have hope. So, let's open God's Word and see where we get this. Verse 24, Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, as you noticed this morning, our passage covers the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. You've heard Pastor Benji and me and other preachers say that, listen, the, the, the versification, breaking up the Bible into verses, is not inspired there was an English guy, he was an archbishop, Stephen Langton, worked in the University of Paris, died about 1228. That's the guy who made the versification system that we use today. And most people think that he got it wrong here, including your Bible. Because if you look at your Bible, there's like a little section heading right here, and then it covers all those verses in two different chapters. But... Part of the reason that I am sure that he got it wrong is an observation that I owe to my son, Nathan. Nathan, Jaron, and I were doing our normal Bible study together, and as we were going through the passage, Nathan noted that Paul was making some purpose statement language with regards to his suffering. So we were looking at this, what, what purposes does Paul have for his suffering, and we came up with four of them. I just read them to you. Paul proclaims hope. How does he proclaim hope? Well, he makes the word of God fully known. How does he proclaim hope? He presents everyone mature in Christ. He encourages saints' hearts. And he defends those who hear him from lies. Now, we're only going to get through two of them today. There is a reason why there's two paragraphs. But we'll take up the next two next week. So let's look at verses 24 to 26. Make the word of God fully known. Verse 24, now Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Paul picks, off, picks up here right where he left off last week when he declared that he was a minister or a servant of the gospel. And he's telling the people that he's writing to, hey, listen, I will do anything, including suffer quite a bit, to make you able to make the Word of God fully known. I want you and your disciple-making disciples 
to hope in the good news, to understand the promises of God for you in Christ, and then to trust those promises of God for you in Christ, and then help others to do exactly the same thing. So now we get to verse 24. And once again, we find in verse 24 one of these quote-unquote difficult verses. And you're going to get tired of hearing me say this, but when we find these difficult verses, if we do just a little bit of digging, most of the time we will find some glorious gospel truth. Now what do we see here? Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now wait a minute. Everybody here knows what it is to be to suffer, but how many of you guys like suffering? If you do, we're going to call those guys in the white jackets to come get you. Back to my brother Wayne. He suffered for 11 weeks in traction and in body cast. Now, I don't think his particular suffering in that case was redemptive because he still rides motorcycles and he still rides them way too fast. But the suffering that he experienced while he was in that state is a result of the fact that we live in a sin-sick world. And that suffering, the normal, everyday suffering that you and I have, part of the reason we have it is because God wants us to realize this isn't our home. This place is not the final place. It's been tainted by sin, and we need redemption. But Paul rejoices in his sufferings because he knows that these sufferings are redemptive. They have a purpose and they serve a good cause in this case Paul believes that his suffering by bringing the word of God and making it fully known as widely as possible brings hope and hope is worth it Paul willingly suffers many things to make the word of God as widely and as fully known as possible like what what did he suffer In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul suffered labors, imprisonments, beatings, and often near death. And he continues this for 19 verses. He goes on and on about the things that he's suffering so that people will hear the good news and have hope in God's promises. And then he finally gets to the purpose. Why is he suffering? And we see this in 2 Corinthians 12.9. Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, Jesus' power, is made perfect in your weakness. Paul then says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Why did the divine Son of God have to send His power on Paul? It's because that same divine Son of God sent sufferings to Paul. So that through these sufferings and through the proclaiming of God's word, those who were watching and listening and suffering would get hope. Jesus sends you and me suffering, Christian, in part 
so that we can proclaim how great Jesus is. And people will believe that Jesus is truly great, not because we're millionaires, but because when we suffer, we do so with the right view of who is sending us this suffering and who is strengthening us through these sufferings so that we can rejoice at the loss of all things. Now, there is another difficulty here in verse 24, a difficulty. And that is when Paul says, In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before or not. Something is lacking in Christ's afflictions? That seems odd. Well, let me say right at the beginning, there is nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions in terms of what it did for salvation. Christ's death on the cross paid forever all of the wrath of God owed to every single man, woman, and child who would ever trust God's promises to forgive him. That is not what Paul means. But what does he mean then? Well, we get a clue in Philippians chapter 2, verse 30. Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service for me. Paul writes the letter to the Philippians from a Roman jail. He's sitting there, and back then, you didn't have the government paying for your food while you're in jail. You had to come up with it on your own. So, Epaphroditus was the man who brought this money to Paul so that he would be able to survive in prison. And obviously, by the way, suffering while he did it because he was risking his life. And Paul's point in this Philippians 2 passage is not that, come on, Philippians, that's all the money you gave me? What's wrong with you people? That wasn't his point. His point was, well, let me imagine something. Imagine you were sitting there in the Philippian worship service. They're, they're having church, and they're sitting around, and someone says, man, we should help Paul out. We should send him some money. And so the other guy says, yeah, that's a great idea. So these guys are particularly generous. And let's say they come up with $10,000. Now, what do we have? We have Paul sitting in a Roman prison. And we have $10,000 sitting in Philippi. Not really doing much good. Paul's rotting. Money's gathering dust. Something's got to happen. So, Epaphroditus raises his hand, and he says, Dude, I'll take the money to Paul. Don't worry about it. Some other guy, all in favor? Aye. And so, that's exactly what they did. Likewise, Jesus suffered for every single man, woman, and child who had ever put his or her trust in him. But this person never heard of Christ, never knew about his sufferings, never understood that what some guy did in the first century had any relationship to him. And so what needs to happen is someone needs to raise their hand and say, dude, I'll take this good news to them. And guess what? They suffer. 
They suffer for all kinds of reasons. There are all, there are all kinds of things that would make you suffer. One is just leaving your home. Another is people hate you and they spit on you because you remind them of their judgment. So it takes someone willing to suffer what is lacking in Christ's afflictions to bring these afflictions to this person who needs it. Paul's decision to suffer to make the Word of God fully known brought the only source of hope available to anyone and everyone who hears it. Your decision to suffer well demonstrates that you value Christ and you put your hope in Him and not stuff. And when you live, not perfectly, but when you live consistently in a way that makes it clear that you put your hope in Jesus, you make yourself credible when you are proclaiming hope. Proclaim this hope. When you are suffering, how do we do this? How do we get to brass tacks? When you're suffering, think to yourself, am I suffering while looking at and trusting in the Word of God? Do I, in fact, value Christ more than the stuff or the time or the circumstances or the relationships that I'm going to lose because I'm sacrificing them so that this person hears the good news of Jesus? When your soul bleeds because of whatever suffering you're experiencing, do you react with anger and resentment and frustration and bitterness? Or are you learning to be in God's Word so that your heart turns to Him, even if it takes a few minutes, but your heart starts to turn to Him for the comfort and the hope that you need? My friends, this is what it really means to be a Christian. This is what it means to put the gospel on. This is what it means to become the kind of person who lives trusting the promises of God. Wow, I'm suffering right now. I need to remind myself of God's promises. And because you fail, you will fail. Because you fail... It drives you later to go back to the Word and find these promises and go to them and see how they apply to your life right now, which is exactly what we're doing when we give you these books. We're putting five different promises in your heart, and then we're giving you eight lessons that you can go with someone with you. You can go through it with them to see how they apply to many aspects of your life. You put this in your heart and your mind and the Holy Spirit then can take it and use it when you are actually suffering. Now, don't expect that to happen all overnight. It takes time to allow the sponge of your mind and your heart to absorb the hope birthing promises of God's Word. But it is enough for you to take one small step at a time. Now listen, you know this. You can't escape suffering. No one's going to get out of this world without suffering. You need to hear God's word because of that. 
If you don't have a Bible, please ask us. We have Bibles at both of our worship centers or uh, welcome centers. We would love to have you go. If you're sitting there thinking, wow, Pastor Greg, I, I have a Bible, but I don't know where to start. This is what you do. You pray. You sit down say, Lord, open my heart to your word. And then you start in Matthew 1. Tomorrow you do Matthew 2. Next day you do Matthew 3. You go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Start putting God's word into your heart so that you can start proclaiming hope because you have hope. Which brings us to the next step. Proclaim him. Make the word of God fully known and then present everyone mature in Christ. Verse 27. To God's saints, to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Do you want hope? Do you need hope? Then stop turning to all the things that don't give true hope. You need instead, like Paul, to present yourself to those near you as mature. It takes work. It takes struggle. It takes toil. Am I being a legalist? No. You don't do this because I say so. Then why? It's because by making God's word fully known in your heart and then proclaiming it so that those around you become mature, that is the tool. It's the means. It's the way that God uses to put hope in your heart. And if you're studiously avoiding getting into His Word and spending time understanding what His promises are and how they apply to your life, then you're not going to find hope. You cannot, cannot become mature in Christ at any level without making the Word of God fully known in your heart and doing your utmost to make that Word of God fully known in the hearts of others around you. Listen, it's tough. Man, when I'm depressed, you, you just don't want to do anything. You don't want to see anything. You certainly don't want to read anything. So you know what I found out about 20 years ago? This works. This really works. When I'm starting to feel depressed, I go look for someone in the hospital to visit. Because their life is in a lot worse shape than mine is. And you know what? I go. And I speak God's word to them. And you know, the Holy Spirit takes that word that's coming out of my mouth. And he bounces it right back into my heart. They are loved. And I am encouraged. Call us up. We'll tell you some people who need visiting. You can have that win-win as well. But notice here. Paul's life goal, his purpose that he is getting at in these verses was to proclaim Christ and to make others mature in Christ because it is in Christ in you, the hope of glory, that you will find 
your hope of glory. Now allow me to be absurdly oversimplistic. Christ in you is the hope of glory because we know that Christ has, for whatever reason we don't understand, chosen to give us his life. This is how F.F. Bruce says. He says, Paul's readers are assured of the hope that is bound up with the indwelling Christ. Christ in us. We are assured of that hope. We're assured of the fact that here and now, as members of his body, they have his risen life. We have his risen life within us that affords us a stable basis of confidence that we will share in the fullness of glory yet to be displayed on the day of the revealing of the sons of God. What is this saying? When you bathe yourself in these truths, in these promises, you start to build a foundation of hope that the jackhammers of the world can't destroy because you are in them. Paul teaches us that our hope is eternal. Our hope is glorious. Our hope is better than our language can describe. And yet we still live in a desert of hope. This is true. We live in the desert of hope. Believers, unfortunately, live in a desert of hope because we have not found Christ in us to be what we needed to be. Because we're doing this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, what's Kim Kardashian doing? Instead, we need to realize our hope is not found in guns to protect us from suicide bombers. Our hope is not found in money to protect us from boredom. Our hope is not found in having people love us or fear us or respect us or to do whatever it is that we want them to do. Our hope instead is found in the rock-solid truth that Christ will come through on His promises and that none of the suffering, none of the unfair treatment we've received, none of the sleepless nights, none of the body pain, none of this suffering will keep us from an eternity that will make all our our suffering seem like light in momentary affliction. Like the prick from the cortisone shot that makes your shoulder work again. And we find in this part of our passage solid evidence of a truth that is widely known. You never learn something so well as to when you have to teach it. So make the Word of God fully known and then proclaim it and help others become mature in it as well. And you say, well, pastor, I don't know as much as you. Well, maybe, maybe you don't. But the point is, is start where you are. Meet with someone. Meet with them and talk about God's Word. Meet with them and discuss the promises of God. Discuss the sermon. You get Weekly questions from Pastor Benji or I so that you can find out, you can dig deeper into the verses and see what it's talking about. Because, my friends, nothing outside of you will make it past the grave. The only thing you get to keep past your funeral is the stuff you can put in your heart. So proclaim hope. Preach Hope. Let me tell you a story. When I was a pastor, a young pastor, instead of an 
old guy with a stunning, stunningly handsome lack of hair. I was working with a bunch of college-age students, and uh, one guy in particular was a goof. I mean, this guy never took anything seriously. He never stayed in a relationship more than a couple of weeks, and he was constantly in and out of depression. Know any young 20s like that? Just about all of them. What do you do with a guy like this? What, what kind of counsel can you give a person who is just not taking life seriously, but just sometimes can't even get out of bed because he's so depressed? Well, there was no such thing as Starbucks, at least where we lived. And I hadn't reached the ripe old age of 30 yet where I became addicted to legal stimulants, legal addictive stimulants. And so you had to do what people done for centuries. We just met in my office or we sat somewhere and we talked. And what did we talk about? Well, we used the material that I had available, which was printed by Camps Crusade for Christ. And so we went through the four weeks. And then what we did is before they put the two books that make this book one, uh, we used the first one, which was the five promises. It was called Lessons on Assurance. And we went through it talking about the promises and talking about how they apply to life. Now, I understand. Fake book is a place where people publish all kinds of falsehoods about him. But whenever I look at his Facebook account, what do I see? I see a guy who's been married for I don't, I don't know how many years. I see a guy who has a responsible job. I see a guy who's involved in his church and doing good stuff in his church. Does he have struggles? Well, of course he does. We all have struggles. That's the point. You're not going to get out of this life without them. But does he have an assurance that Christ is with him? Does he have an assurance that Christ will be with him? Yes, he does. And his life is better because of it. So can yours. So proclaim that hope in your heart and as widely as you can.